That really was a blessing. I appreciate Jenny very much and her singing. Glad to have her family with us. And they're heading to Wisconsin where we pray it's cooler and nicer weather. All right, for a family reunion. Amen? All right, good, good, good. Now, um, oh, gee, see, I've got, I've got, I get my brain back and focused. I, it'll take me just a moment. Because I said, maybe I laid it on my desk. I didn't. I didn't. That's why I left, Jenny. I was going to say, well, maybe it's there. Maybe it's there. You know, um, we've been talking about Satan, his ways, and we're going to be talking about this a lot. And, and you might wonder why. why. Why, Dwayne, why are we doing this? Because the culture's in such bad shape. And the church needs to be the church. And in order for the church to be the church, we have got to understand our adversary, and we've got to understand what's going on in our culture, in our world, in our lives. I was having um, coffee with a young man this week, um, one of my young friends, and we were talking, and I said, you know, I, and I said this to someone else and repeated it to him, I said, I'm trying to figure out in my brain how it is that we declare that we know and believe the Word of God, and yet how much we continually sin in our lives. I don't quite, and notice I said we, I don't quite grasp that. We do pretty good, like I always say, we do pretty good with the, with the, the things like alcohol and drugs and things like that. We as Baptists do pretty good. But I'm telling you, we are wrestling with sin in our lives that are not necessarily public sin, but sins of the heart. We, I've seen this in my life. I've seen it in our lives. And I just say, God, how can we? And the world's watching. And the world's watching. So, I, you know, they say, you know, as you repeat something, we learn it and learn it. And that's why I'm going over and over again some of these truths that we maybe know so well. That's why this morning's message was significant. Because we, if, if we appreciate the sovereign rescue of God in our lives then we'll be more likely to obey Him in our lives. It's just an expression of our love to Him. It's a natural thing. And so tonight, I guess probably in the last year, we've gone to Genesis chapter 3, probably three times, maybe four. I really don't know. But I want to go back tonight with just a little different twist, a different idea, and looking at the temptation of Eve in the garden. But here's the difference. I don't want necessarily to talk about Eve tonight. I want to talk about us. I want to talk about the fact that how is it in our garden? Not, not, Eve, not Eve millennia ago, but how is it in the, in the thing that you call the garden of your life? And to do that, we're going to follow Eve's story, but I hope we have some principles tonight. I've got four principles and then a couple of truths at the end I'll share with you that will hopefully give you, again, a grasp of what Satan's trying to do in your life to wreck the kingdom of God. What Satan is trying to do in your life Correct the kingdom of God. All right? Now, I don't remember a whole lot about my dad's funeral. Um, in fact, I don't remember a whole lot about my childhood, really. Um, I'm not sure what that means, but I really don't. And I was um, 18 years old. Is that right, Judy? 74? Yeah. I was 20 years old. When my, no, no, that's not right. It's 18 years old. I was in high school. 18, 17 years old, my dad died. And it was pretty hard. It really was. But again, I remember so little bit of that. I, if you mind if I mention one of my former girlfriends? All right, thank you. Here's the, well, here's the two things I remember. The two things I remember. I remember walking in with my girlfriend into the service. I was crying. He said, don't cry. I want to punch her like, hello, my father died. You know, kind of even guys cry, you know, at, at, when your dad's died. You know, and, and, and the second thing is we sang in the garden. That's all I remember about my dad's funeral. And, uh, you know, and the song has always been special to me ever since that time. And sometime this week or last week, when I started thinking about this message tonight, I got that idea, and I, and I got the words, and it says to the first verse in the chorus, I come 
to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Beautiful, beautiful words. Uh, a young man, you know, Donnie told his story this morning, and the guy who wrote this was on his way to be a pharmacy, a pharmacist at pharmacy school, and felt God calling him to lead that and go into Christian service and write hymns. Uh, how interesting um, is that? But the thought I want to grab a hold of is right this. I come to the garden alone. And I want to kick off tonight with the thought that buyer beware. You're not always alone in the garden. Now, I want you to think, in Genesis 3.1, I want you to think of the garden as your world. Certainly, certainly in Genesis 3.1, this was Eve's world. Beyond the garden was more world. But everything she knew about the world was in that garden. And each one of us have gardens. And frankly, on a Sunday night crowd, they're probably pretty well-tended gardens. Our gardens are probably pretty orderly. Um, our gardens may be pretty spiritual. Our, our gardens may definitely include the voice of the Son of God and he, as He walks with us and talks with us. But you need to understand that you may not be just you and Jesus in your garden, that there might be someone else lurking, and that someone else is Satan, and he is there to disrupt your world. Now, you know the story. Again, we've talked about this now for about three weeks. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And we talked about this this morning, that again, it was a literal snake. It was an old serpent. But at the same time, the picture is bigger, that either Satan had become like a serpent or that, that he had fulfilled the serpent, was speaking through the serpent. Either way, it's a serpent. It's a snake. Okay, And the idea being, again, that your garden may not be as safe as you think it is. I remember my friend J.R. If I remember the story correctly, needing you correct me after church. J.R. was out in his, garden, his yard, and if I remember right, next up to the house, I believe. And, and he was poking around in his flower bed and got bit by a copperhead. What seemed like a very safe place was not. And I still remember how big his hand got. It was very, very badly, a very bad bite, a very bad, I would say infection, but it's not infection. It was the poison uh, that impacted his hand. He thought it was safe, but it was not. And so you need to understand that in your well-mannered garden of your life, you Sunday night folks, the ones who say, I choose to go to church at least twice a week. I may choose to read my Bible every day. I may need to pray. You need to understand still that Satan desires to sift you as we in your garden, somewhere in your garden may be something that will hurt you, and that something is Satan as he comes to tempt you. I'm pretty certain I can say this with accuracy, that Satan is more likely to tempt the one with a well-manicured garden than the one with a weed-filled garden. If you're, a, if you're lost or if you're a Christian and you're living like the devil, he'll probably won't pick on you too much. You're doing all the good you need to do for his kingdom by just living a simple lifestyle. But the more godly you are, the more you try to follow the kingdom, the more Satan will try to wreck your testimony and your character. So be a wise. Be, be wise. He is the most cunning. He is the most shrewd one in the garden. You know, going back to that verse we've used, I guess now for two services, 
you know, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, you know, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And you need to understand there's something in your garden that may seek to devour you. And, and don't think, again, with a lion, you know, don't, don't think eating and chewing as much as consuming. Because if he consume your life and consume your testimony, he's successful in what he tried to do. Because when that happens, then the kingdom of God is hurt. So principle number one, understand you're not alone in your garden. You think because you're 75 years old that Satan is messing with you. I need to tell you that's not true. You think because you're 12, God's not messing with you. You think because you're a deacon or a pastor or a worship leader or a youth guy, you've been a Baptist all your life, Baptist born, Baptist bred, when I'm gone, be a Baptist dead, that, God, that Satan's not going to mess with you. I need to tell you that's not true. You're not alone in your garden. If you think you're alone in your garden, that there's no threat, you need to understand you're a target. And he's got you right where he wants you. Okay, got that? Understand? Amen? Okay, very good. Now, number two, principle number two, is this. We need to know what God's Word says. Because, because this thing that could hurt you in the garden, and I'm talking about, again, Satan, when he comes knocking on your door, might very well question what you know about God's Word. Notice what it says in verse number 1 of chapter 3. Did God really say? Did God really say? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. The, the, thing, that, <coughs> me, the thing that Satan might well do is get you to doubt or challenge the Word of God. As I read and studied today, one of the commentaries said this. Anyone who questions God's word is also questioning God's goodness. Anyone who questions God's word questions God's goodness. So as Satan, as he begins to question his word, you need to get or questions his word to you, then you need to understand that he's also questioning God's goodness. He wants you to believe that God's not good. You know, he wants you to believe that he's not a good, good father. That he's selfish. That he doesn't hear your prayers. That he's jealous. That he wants everything for himself. He wants you to believe that your circumstances are a result of his lack of love for you. That's what he wants you to believe. So he questions, did God really say, for the purpose of undermining God's goodness to you. Now, in this garden... Okay, I love what David said, what you said this morning. I was going to take a different approach to it, but I really liked what David said about idols. Now, again, the world was pretty small for Eve. Here's how it looked like. Eve lived, her garden was one of perfection. That everything God had done was totally untouched by sin. And her world, her idols consisted of this. God said, there's a tree in the midst of the, of the garden is the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Don't eat of it. So, so the thing was, the only thing she had really to know about idols was, God said, don't worship that idol. Don't crave that tree more than you crave me. Don't crave that tree more than you crave me. It's really a pretty small garden with one idol. Not true in our world today. Not true in our world today. Even in the most orderly garden, there can be many idols that challenge us. There, there, again, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to have. 
God wants me not to be sick all the time. You know, it could go on and on. Anything that would challenge God's goodness. Things we want. I want it my way. Listen, prevalent in the Baptist church today is this theme, it's all about me. It never was about you. Even the cross was not solely about you. It was about a lost world. I remember Ken down in Texas or in Tampa when we were at that missions conference said, I love that song. While he was on the cross, I was on his mind. The whole world was on his mind, friend. Not you. And I don't even know the theology of if I'd have been the only one, Jesus would die for me because that wasn't the case. We've got to get over our selfish, our selfish uh, world that says, I'm the one that matters. Just like you said about joy. It's Jesus, it's others, it's you. It's Jesus, it's others, you. Your Savior went to the back of the line. Your Savior went to the back of the line and became the servant and Savior of all. And we're to follow His example. So what idol is there? What temptation do you have in your life tonight that would cause you to say, I choose that over God? Because that's what an idol is. Anything that you put before God, whether it's your way, your passions, whatever it is, anything like that becomes an idol. And if Satan can get you worshiping false idols, he's one happy adversary. You've got to, listen, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful because he wants to devour you. And not necessarily to hurt you, but to hurt the Father and to hurt the kingdom. To hurt the Father and hurt the kingdom. So you need to know what the Word of God says. I'm telling you, if we're going to be a people of the Word, I know this sounds familiar because I said it Wednesday night and last Sunday night. If we're going to be a people of the Word, we have got to know the Word of God. You know, in, in 2 Timothy 2.15, And I believe, Charlene, hang on, this is the King James Version. But I wanted this key thought. Here's the key thought. Oh, come on, you guys. Study. I love this word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We have got to be students of the Word of God. If we're going to know when Satan comes knocking on your door, and he will come knocking. If we're going to know what to do with that, when he comes knocking, he says, did God really say, we've got to be able to say, yes, that's what he said, or no, that's not what he said. We have got to have a strong biblical base, and I've said it now for too long, you won't get that from my preaching. Not that I'm a bad preacher, But you have got to eat more than three meals a week, even if you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You have got to be a daily student of the Word of God. I think it was Saturday. My day started early, and I did not get in my chair immediately. And about 9 o'clock, I told Judy, I've got to go upstairs and get in the Word. Because what I saw happening was plenty of great excuses not to get in the Word on a Saturday. And I don't know about you, but I found out it's to be true. If I don't find time to read, and if I don't find time to pray, my day goes south way too often. Way too often. Way too often. So we've got to be students of the Word of God. The Word of God is going to tell you what is a sin and what is not a sin. The Word of God is going to tell you what is a sin and what is not a sin. And there's going to be some things in your life 
that, that you're going to have to make a call on. Uh, they not be, you know, they say there's no gray in the Bible, but sometimes there's just things. Paul put it this way. He said, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. It may be something that's not a sin, but it's just not good for you. It's just not good for you. So you've got to be prepared and know the Word of God. So when, so when Satan comes and says, yeah, but what about this? You'll be able to say yes or no on it. And that is the standard, guys. I don't care what some preacher uh, gets on TV and tells you what's right and wrong. I don't care how they milk down the gospel. The Word of God is definitive. And it is the standard for our lives. Not a preacher, not a doctrine of, of belief in a church like the Southern Baptist Convention, which, praise God, is biblically based. But what is, is the Word of God. And know what your friend says, who say, well, you know, you deserve better. You know this, and you know that. The Word of God is the standard. If you're a Christ follower, the Word of God is the standard. So principle number two, actually it's 2A, is know what the Word of God says. Then he goes on, and it ties in, so we're going to principle 2B in just a moment. Well, the woman said, pause, Bill said, pause, Dwayne said, pause, what will be your answer, what will be your answer when Satan says, does God say? Now, notice the woman, she does a pretty good job. From her limited scope of her limited garden in her world, notice what she says. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Now, now she underplays the generosity of God. Here's what God said, Dwayne Taylor translation. He said, you are free. Someone say free. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. God was way more generous than she made him sound. He, she underplays his generosity. There, there seems to be a difference. We may eat from the fruit, and you are free to eat. One just expresses more generosity. So she underplays the generosity of God. Verse number 3. But about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. So again, she underplays God's warning. She underplays God's warning. Now what he said was, you, you can give all the trees, you're free to all the trees, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, she doesn't say that. I'm telling you, we need to understand that sin is sin and it's wrong. And when we just sort of just leave that out, we underplay the warning of God. You know, God warns over and over again in this world the consequences of sin, the wrecking power of sin. And we've moved into a culture where often in pulpits you don't hear that. I keep saying it over and over again. We don't need to obey God because of legalism. Praise God, He delivered us from the law. But we need to, A, to obey because, one, it glorifies God. Two, it's best for us. And three, it's an expression of our love for Him. Huge, huge, huge. And to my Sunday night crowd, I'm not talking about going down to... Praise God, I can't name a bar in town. And Cobden's always Fuzzies. You know, Fuzzies was the bar. <laughs> you know, I don't even know a name of one here in town. But, you know, it's more than that. 
It's our attitude and actions toward people, about communities, the culture. Well, it's like being like Jesus. And notice she, she underplays and underplays, and then this is principle 2A, she overplays. She overplays. She underplays God's generosity. She, he, she underplays God's warning and overplays his actual word. Here's what she said. About the, about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, from everything I can see in Scripture, and I am certainly not a scholar, but everything I've read is we don't see where God said don't touch the tree. We don't know if that came from Adam or she had that herself, but you don't see God saying that. And she overplays the Word of God, whether she got it from her husband or whether she dreamed it up herself. See, that's what the Pharisees would do. The Pharisee was constantly adding to the Word of God. They would say, if God said this, to be safe, let's add that. If God said this, to be safe, let's add that. If God said don't do that, then let's do this. And we overplay the Word of God. Principle 2B is don't add or subtract from the Word of God. Don't make God's Word say something it does not say. Now, I know, and I want to be very careful not to do what I just talked about, but I've heard preachers use this in a whole different context. In Revelation twenty-two eighteen, it says this, I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. So very clearly, he is talking about the book of the Revelation. Okay? I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them... God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written within this book. So the principle very clearly is, or the, excuse me, the, the accuracy of the scripture is that, that, that God is saying through John, don't add or subtract from the book of the Revelation. But in principle, it's true throughout the word of God. We, because we didn't write it, we don't have the privilege of adding to the Word of God, and we don't have the privilege of taking away from the Word of God. Let the Word of God be the Word of God. Now, it may grate against you. There's going to be some times you're going to say, yeah, but I've always believed, and yeah, I was taught. But you've got to go back as a Bible scholar, as a Bible student, and say, what does the Word of God say? It's true in our lives individually. It's true as a, a, a church. It's true across the board with believers. We've got to let the Word of God be the Word of God. Okay. Principle number three. Be careful who you talk to and who you listen to. In your garden, of, of whatever your sphere of influence is in your world, no matter how maintained it looks like. Now again, you know, one... First of all, A, did animals have the ability to communicate with mankind? I don't know. Before the fall, I don't know. Did, did Satan take on the form of a serpent? And that's why he's talking again. But God used a, a donkey to talk. I don't know. I do know this. Everything was new to Eve. You say, well, how did she end up talking to a snake anyway? Okay? Again, everything was new to her. This is a new world. So we don't know why or how. But we do know this. That a serpent shows up and talks to her, and she engages in a conversation. 
that should have never taken place. And we are very good at starting conversations and engaging in conversations that never should take place. I guess I'm trying to tell you, if something shows up that looks like a snake, I wouldn't talk to it if I were you, even if it wears clothes. Notice what happens. Verse 4. No! You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Now this is huge. The serpent says this. There are no consequences for sin. There are no consequences for sin. Now let me ask you a question. And don't answer out loud. You wouldn't anyway. But if there were no consequences, what would you do? If you knew that there was going to be absolutely no risk of a ticket or an accident, how fast would you drive to Mary? If you knew that absolutely no one, there would be absolutely no consequences for watching something you should watch on TV or on the, on the Internet, what would you watch? If you knew, absolutely, there would be no consequences for cheating on your husband or your wife, what would you do? That's the trick Satan played. That's the trick Satan played. I mean, how often have we spoken and assumed, now don't you tell anybody, and guess what? They tell somebody. And they tell somebody, and the person you're talking to finds out that you said that. There are consequences for sin. That's a good place for an amen. Because I'm telling you, Consequences, the fear of consequences should not be your greatest reason, but fear of consequences is a good reason not to sin. It's a good reason not to sin. So Satan shows up again, being careful who you talk to and who you listen to. Satan shows up and says, No, you will not die. And of course, the choice is believe or not believe. That's what this whole story is about. Who are you going to believe? Satan in your garden. Who are you going to believe? Satan or Jesus? That's what the whole thing's about. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God is jealous of his divinity and trust Satan would probably go, trust me as one who knows he doesn't want anyone like him because that's what got Satan thrown out of heaven. Well, I will be like the Most High, Isaiah chapter 14. I will be like the Most High. Now watch this. Remember, he who questions the word of God questions God's goodness. And whoever questions God's goodness questions the word of God. The exact opposite is true also. He's trying to get Eve and will try to get you to question God's goodness and therefore question his word. Huge. Huge. God knows that if you do this, you'll be like him. God knows if you do this, your life might be more fun. If you do this, you might be more 
happy. And then he would probably say something like this, don't you know it's all about your happiness anyway? So be careful who you talk to. Be careful who you listen to. And that leads us to number four. Beware your desires and appetites. Beware your desires and appetites. I've been a foodie all my life. I have gained and lost enough weight to rebuild the world. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And I, I think I've shared this story before. If not, it's worth hearing again because it'll teach you a good lesson. Way back when I was a younger man, I went on diet and lost late like a friend. That's enough of that. One of those diets, you lost a lot of weight. It was, the, it was one of those leukemia diets. You know what those are? It's when you lost so much weight, people go on off and said, do you have cancer? I mean, I lost it. And everybody would say, why are you sick? Whatever. Well, I had a lady named Grandma Vita. We called her Grandma Vita. I mean, she literally just adopted our family. And that woman had the gift of cooking. And I was down in the children's department one day. And I think I was working on doing something physical. And she walked up and said, Dwayne, you look sick. You come to my house for lunch, and I'm going to feed you in my weekend stage. I said, okay. And I walked down to Grandma Vita's in about two hours. And we had her normal spread of fried chicken dumplings, mashed potatoes. I mean, all the comfort food in the world. And I tried so hard to be measured in my eating. But there's one thing I had done throughout this period of time was I had said no to dessert. And she said in front of me a piece of her homemade apple pie. Now, I know you weren't there, and your grandmother makes the best apple pie in the world, but I'm telling you, Grandma Vita made the best apple pie in the whole world. And she set that thing down and said, eat it. And I did. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Beware your desires and appetites. Now, again, it's, I don't think we're adding to the scripture. I'd be careful not to do that. But this is where Satan stops the conversation. It's, I think he slithers off and now leaves Eve to contemplate. And that's what she does in verse 6. Then, after Satan does his thing, builds his case, throws his temptation out there, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food. In other words, it was practical. I mean, after all, God's practical. We should be practical. She saw that it was aesthetically pleasing. It was delightful to look at. And that was desirable for obtaining wisdom. In other words, it was something that would make her wiser. And the Bible says, doing that, she took some of his fruit and she ate it. Beware your desires and appetites. And you know what I'm talking about. Even if you're one of those folks that's blessed with thinness. If it's not food, it may be smoking, it may be alcohol, it may be too much television, maybe a television, maybe a computer, a computer addiction. It's something. Mouth addiction. You, there's probably something you can identify with. And, and at that moment, 
in your garden, in your orderly garden where your world is and everything's orderly and, and Satan comes up and does his gig, does his thing. And then you're left to contemplate. And I don't know what your three reasons would be. There only may be two or one. I don't know. But in her case, it was practical. It was, it was good to look at it. And there was an outcome that she desired, and that was wisdom. And she ate. She ate. And when she ate it, she rebelled against God. She disobeyed God. Her world imploded. And it changed forever. And then she, and we won't even go here. She gave it some to her husband who was with her. Go figure. And, and he ate. And then the Bible says that, that in verse you know, 7, and we covered this this morning, their eyes were opened, they, they knew they were naked, they, they tried to fix it themselves with the fig leaf thing. And truly, the rest is history. And that's why God sent the great rescue, was because of that. But how's your garden tonight? How's your garden? You know, Judy and I are blessed with a really a beautiful yard, and it's really, I mow the grass and she grows the flowers. But about three, four weeks ago, Judy, we, we noticed a few weeds were growing up. And we hadn't had time, hadn't taken the time or didn't have the time, your choice. And we really hadn't been in the garden. And so one day I got up and I said, I'm going to try to do some weeding and, and then cut the grass tonight. And the closer I looked, the more I saw and you can verify this, not these baby bags, not these 13-gallon, these 42-gallon bags. Bag after bag after bag, eight, nine, ten bags of weeds I found in our garden. That's not pulling weeds. That's chopping off the ones that were so tall they stood up above the flowers. I didn't see them until I started looking. In your garden, in your world, we don't see because we don't want to look. Because when we look, we'll be forced to deal with the issue. So how is your garden? How's your garden? Now, we need to take just a minute, and I just want to read these scriptures to you. I went too far. Let me quickly read James to you. Because it, it tells us the story of Eve in the New Testament. James 1.13 No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and himself does not tempt anyone. So if you're being tempted, don't say it's God, because God's not tempted, and he does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away if you find yourself chatting with a snake, you've been drawn away. Enticed by his own evil desires. When she saw it was good, it was practical. When she saw it was beautiful to look at. When she saw it would give her desired outcome. Enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And she ate, and he looked, and she took, and he betrayed. 
And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Everything sin touches dies. Everything sin touches dies. Marriages die. Characters, character dies. Witnesses die. Relationships die. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So don't be deceived, James says. The half-brother of Jesus. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. So what do we do? Well, Paul gives us a great answer in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. You're not in this boat by yourself. If you're saying, you don't understand my temptation, somebody does because God says there's nothing new in the temptation area. No matter what it is, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter how the serpent's attacking you, it's not just you, it's mankind. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Your sovereign God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to say no. You don't have to say yes. If there's a yes involved, it's your yielding and not God's failure. And with the temptation, he also will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. For every, someone say every, for every temptation, there's a way of escape. There's nothing that Satan's going to allow to, or something God's going to allow to come in your life. He's got it under control. That there's not a way of escape. We just got to be willing to take it. No matter what it is. Whether it's temptation to gossip, to, to drink, to use drugs, to cheat on your wife. No matter what. You pick the sin. And there's always that way of escape. And David, one more time, I'm going to go back to what you said this morning. The last thing he says is, is therefore, my beloved, beloved, flee from idolatry. Be aware, in your garden, there are garden idols. And all of them are going to call. When Satan comes in and tries to entice you, all those idols, I want it my way. I'm important. I've got the power. I've got the authority. I want to do this. All those idols will beckon you. And unless you know the Word of God, and I might throw in rest in God's amazing grace and be empowered by the Holy Spirit, when the old serpent comes up to chat, you may find yourself in a conversation you don't need to be happy. And sin always has consequences. And everything sin touches dies. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for the privilege again of sharing your word. Thank you for that. Father, I want to, pr I want to pray in Jesus' name for victory over the serpent tonight. Yes, Father, I want to make this a personal prayer. I want to pray this for me, Father. That when Satan comes knocking sometime this week, when he invades my garden, 
my sphere, my world. And he points out an idol that, that he would love for me to worship, no matter what it might be, whether it be pride or arrogance or self-dependence or independence from God. That father, and he tries to tell me, did God really say that we will know, I will know the word of God, filled with the spirit, enamored with your grace, and walk away. I want to make this a public prayer. Father, for all of us and those beyond this room who claim the glorious name of Jesus Christ. May we be aware of Satan, of his techniques, and the things he throws at us. God, you have sent your son Jesus to die that we may be victorious. The victory has been won in the name of Jesus Christ. May we live in that victory today. Today. I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters, that as we journey out today, as we leave this place to go to other places and begin our journey this week, that we would be victorious in our journey, in our walk with you. I'm grateful for the, prom for the promise that if we do stumble and fall, that you'll pick us up. I'm grateful for that. But I'm more grateful for the promise of the victory. So, Father, if there's any business we need to do tonight, may we handle it now. May we have faith in you. May we not doubt your word. And may we never doubt your goodness. May we not believe the liar of lies. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless.